0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net.
1: Our scripture reading for today comes from John chapter 15, verses 18 to John chapter 16, verses 4. If you're reading from the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, you can, the passage can be found on page 848. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, excuse me, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their, ho- when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you be- from the beginning because I was with you. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
0: This morning, uh, we're in the back half of John 15 and the first couple of verses of John 16, as you heard Tommy just say. Our sermon title is going to be this, If the World Hates You. And the main idea that uh, Jesus wants us to see from the text this morning is this main idea. Just as the world hates Jesus, so the world will hate his disciples. Just as the world hates Jesus, so the world will Hate his disciples now you might be thinking well that's a pretty sharp shift on jesus's part last week vine abiding fruit bearing uh talking about the fruit of joy and sacrificial love and all these various things um but now all of a sudden he's talking about hatred and hostility but what you need to know and what jesus wants us to see this morning is that it's not as sharp of a shift as you might think Jesus is saying this you as a branch were designed to abide in me and by abiding in me you will bear much fruit and what you need to know is this when you go out into the world and you abide in me and you bear fruit that tells the world you belong to me you will be received and hated like I was hated by the world in Jesus's departure who are the ones who represent and display Jesus in his absence. It's vine-abiding, fruit-bearing disciples. And he says, guys, I received, was received by the world in a certain way, and you are going to be received in a similar way. Um, We're going to pray here in a minute. What you just need to know this morning is uh, because I want to apply this text in a very specific way, my aim is to try, I'm going to try to nudge us through the text so maybe a little bit more quickly than normal. Um, I want us to try to make uh, some explanations and observations along the way. But because of the way I really believe God wants us to land the plane and apply the Scriptures to us this morning, I just wanted to give you that heads up that um, my hope, or my design at least, is to be a little bit more quickly uh, in the explanation of these verses because of how we're going to uh, apply the text later. So let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit to move, and then we'll turn to the text. Spirit, come. Come. Immerse, drench, me, drench us. Help our hearts and minds wrap around the reality of the world's hostility as it relates to followers of Jesus. Father, these things that we're going to see here now, they are not necessarily overtly true about us as Christians in sort of the Western society that we live in. I'm not a prophet, but I think the days are coming a lot sooner rather than later to when we, as Christians in the U.S., will finally catch up with the everyday reality of the cost of pursuing a crucified Savior that the rest of our brothers and sisters in the world experience on a daily basis. So, Father, as some of us here are maybe already tempted now on the front end to check out persecution, suffering, and hatred, that's not what I experience here. Father, I pray that you would caution us from checking out that you would draw us closer to submit to the Scriptures and that you would knit our hearts together as we work through these Scriptures with our brothers and sisters in Christ and almost every other country in the world today whose experience of their pursuit of Jesus is what we're going to study right now in the back half of John 15. God, awaken us to the reality that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted it's in your name i'm asking that you do these things king jesus amen think on some of these facts here there are estimates by christian research groups that put the number of christians that are killed a year so this is a yearly total of christians who are murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. So it wasn't just like they happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were murdered. And oh, it just so happens to be that they're a Christian. No, they were murdered specifically because of their pursuit of Christ. One research group puts that number as high as 8,000 a year. 8,000 brothers and sisters in Christ murdered because they pursued Jesus. Another study found that 111 countries on this planet Earth... Or countries who either restrict Christianity or are overtly hostile to Christianity. 111 countries. And it's reported that globally, more than 100 million Christians are suffering persecution around the globe simply because they claim the name of Christian. They are pursuers of Christ. Now, maybe you hear me say just a couple of these facts, and you're like, hey, man, uh, wow, I, have, I had no clue. That was completely news to me. Or perhaps you already know statistics like these, but whether you know these facts or not, the question that perhaps is coming to your mind when you hear someone like me or someone else say statistics like these things is the question, why? Why? Why are Christians subject to persecution in this world. Why is there such hostility? Why is there such hatred shown to Jesus' disciples? You don't have to wonder. Jesus gives us an answer for the question of why in the back half of John chapter 15. Remember, last week was all about a disciple's relationship to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm leaving, and before I come back, this is how you relate to me. Abide in the vine, bear much fruit. That is your role in the world. Now Jesus is saying in the back half of John 15, what is your relationship going to be to the world as you abide in me and bear much fruit? And with extremely strong language, Jesus is going to warn his disciples that to follow him in a vine-abiding, fruit-bearing relationship, one thing is going to be absolutely true. The world will hate you for doing that. The world will hate you for doing that. So starting in verse 18, Jesus begins to give us three different reasons why This is true. Why the world will hate his disciples. The first one we see in verses 18 through 20. It's this truth. The world will hate Jesus' disciples because it hates Jesus. The world will hate Jesus' disciples because it hates Jesus. Just look at how he starts in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, he says. Jesus begins by saying, if the world hates you. But when you hear Jesus say the word if, don't hear Jesus saying, well, in the unlikely event that someone might hate you for following Jesus. That's not what he's saying. No, 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 no. It reads more like this. If the world hates you, and trust me, they do, then know this. That before the world hated you, it first hated me. You see, haters are going to hate And the driving response of the world is going to be a fixed, ongoing hostility that detests anyone and detests anything that claims an association with the man, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus talks about the world there, if the world hates you, what does he mean by that phrase, world? Well, he's not talking about the planet Earth. Rather, what he's doing is he's talking about the anti-God world system and all those who live in open rebellion to the lordship of Jesus in this culture, in this world that we live in. So in this sense, when you read the word world, when Jesus keeps saying it, if the world hates you, if the world this, if the world that, what he's talking about in this sense is Satan's domain. He's talking about Satan's dark kingdom. It's talking about a realm and the people who are giving themselves an allegiance to that realm, they are going to be opposed to Jesus and they're going to be hostile to the followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says that word world. And so you might ask again, well, why is this the case? Because Jesus clarifies saying in verse 19, well, first, you are not of the world. That's why the world's going to hate you. And second, you belong to me, he says. Just look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world loves But it's a selfish love. I will love you as long as you're just doing what I'm doing. But if you're not doing what I'm doing and you're doing something opposed to what I think you should be doing, guess what? I'm going to hate you. I'm going to hate you for that. But, Jesus says, verse 19, Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the primary cause for persecution is a disciple's change of allegiance. A disciple's change of allegiance. Once we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Colossians chapter 1. But according to the Apostle Paul, God the Father graciously... Listen to how Paul describes salvation. God the Father graciously delivered us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And it's in the son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 describes salvation in Christ alone as a change of allegiance. You once were in full tilt allegiance to Satan and his dark kingdom... By salvation in Christ alone and forgiveness in Him alone, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness and firmly planted into the kingdom of the beloved Son, he says. So where once we were treasonous rebels... Serving Satan in his dark kingdom by grace through faith in Christ alone, we now have a new allegiance. Christ is our king and we are his servants. And so Jesus says in verse 20, remember, a servant is not greater than his master. If... They, the world, persecuted me, the king, and you are my servant. Guess what? They're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In other words, what the disciples needed to know then in the upper room and what every disciple needs to know beyond Jesus to you and me sitting here in this room today is that you cannot follow a crucified Savior and not expect a cross. That is what it means to follow a crucified Savior, is to expect the kind of suffering and persecution that he faced. So the world hates Jesus' disciples because it hates Jesus, but we also see point number two, that the world will hate Jesus' disciples because it hates the Father. So the world says, we hate Jesus, and we hate everything that he stands for. Oh, you follow Jesus? Well, therefore, I hate you. But then Jesus begins to unpack further the reason why this hatred for Jesus is so strong is because it's actually stemming from a hatred of the Father, the Son, and the Father's relationship. Look at verse 21. But all these things... That is, all this hate, all this persecution that's going to come from the world, the world will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know the Father is what Jesus is saying right there. So hostility to Jesus indicates hatred for God. Why? Because Jesus reveals the Father. Remember, two weeks ago, Jesus responded to a request from a disciple named Philip. What did Philip say to Jesus? Philip looked squarely at Jesus and said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. To which Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. How? Well, through his words and his works. That is how Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus said to Philip back in John 14 that by coming into the world and speaking the words of the Father and performing the works of the Father, he revealed the Father. So to reject the words and the works of Jesus is to ultimately reject the Father because Jesus is simply speaking and working the will of the Father. So Jesus is just saying, guys, th- this, is a, this is a multifold hatred that is being shown from the world. That's all that he's saying. Yes, they're going to hate you if you follow me, but you need to know is that their hatred isn't just for me. Their hatred is ultimately for the Father because I'm just merely revealing the Father. I'm revealing him through my words. I'm revealing him through my works. And so when they hate my words, they hate my works. They're ultimately hating the father. And because you are attached to me, you got to know that is just even more reason why the world is going to hate you. That's what Jesus is saying there in verses 22 through 24, when he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, there's the words, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Here it is. Whoever hates me hates my father also if, he, if I had not done among them the works, so there it is, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and, here it is again, hated both me and my Father. So the specific sin the world is guilty of is rejection of the ministry of the incarnate Son, His words and His works. Jesus entered a world made pitch black by sin, And like the noonday sun, his words make hidden sin visible and his works expose wicked things by bringing them into the light." And right after some of the most famous verses in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, what you can read is verses 18 and 19, and John the disciple begins to say that as Jesus is saying these things, it's like he's the light. And what he's doing is he's exposing the light of our need for a Savior in our, through his words, through his works, and the darkness hates the light. So when Jesus shines up in a world made pitch black by sin and begins to reveal all these things, guess what the world says? We hate it! We don't like it. We don't want it. The thing is, the people hated Jesus for it and people today still hate Jesus for this darkness, exposing actions of His words and His works because today, even though You and I, people in the world, can't hear and see Jesus in person. We can still hear and see Jesus whenever disciples proclaim the words and the works of Jesus from the scriptures. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm going. People hated my words and my works. But when you go around as a vine-abiding, fruit-bearing disciple and you are showing, telling, sharing the words and the works of me, guess what? They're going to hate you as well. In verse 25, he says, This just simply should come as no surprise. This hatred is foretold in the Old Testament when King David said of himself, They hated me without cause. This is a quote from Psalm 69, 4, and by quoting this verse, Jesus is just making the point that if David could be hated for no reason, then great David's greater son can also be hated for no reason as well. Then lastly, note this. Verses 26 into chapter 16, verse 4. The world will hate Jesus' disciples because it hates the Spirit's witness. The world will hate Jesus' disciples because it hates the Spirit's witness. Without a doubt, says the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or to use the language of John 15, all that vine-abiding, fruit-bearing language, and to lay it on top of that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we could say this. All who abide in Jesus and bear much fruit will be persecuted. I think that is how we go about desiring and living a godly life, is by vine-abiding and fruit-bearing. So as the world hates, the question you might be asking yourself is this. Well, what hope do we as disciples have in the, as receivers of the world's hatred? What hope do we have? Jesus says we have the hope of the helper's help. That's the hope that you have. The hope of the Helper's help. With the hatred of the world raging against Jesus' disciples, the promise of the Spirit is not only the achievement of greater gospel works, which is what Jesus was driving home last time in John chapter 14, the last time he was talking about this one called the Helper, the Spirit of truth. Jesus says he's coming, he's going to dwell with you, he's going to dwell in you, and here's the promise. Him and you will be how the gospel will spread. That was sort of promise number one when Jesus said, we got to talk about this, this Holy Spirit, this person, So now here's Jesus talking about him again, but what he's saying is not only will you have the promise of the Spirit and the greater gospel works going forward, but you also have the presence of the Spirit who will be there to, listen, empower you as a disciple to be a witness for Jesus in the face of hostility. Listen, when. When hostility and hatred come our way, the natural sort of gut instinct response is to shut up and flee. Not to bear witness, but to beat your feet and get out of there. So how are we, as fruit-bearing, vine-abiding disciples, meant to have the strength To bear up under hatred and hostility so we can proclaim the name of Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, bootstrap it, man. Pull yourself up, get your act together, and just say something. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, you're going to have to lean in a full tilt dependence upon the Spirit. And as the Spirit empowers you, you will be able to proclaim and bear witness for Jesus. I love this quote. In the words of one brother, he said this. What Jesus is saying here in verses 26 and 27 is that the Spirit of God, listen, the Spirit of God, will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to witness about the Son of God. That's what's going on in verses 26 27. Praise God that when the Helper comes, says Jesus, By the way, the helper whom I will send to you from the Father, that's promise language, I will do it. You know the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. What will he do? He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The undeniable truth is that the Holy Spirit fat promise reality unchangeable truth it cannot not be done the holy spirit will bear witness he has to he wants to he loves to and he will do it that is what the holy spirit loves to do he loves to say not me look to jesus not you look to jesus he loves to put the limelight on christ and to magnify the son he loves to bear witness And the fact, says Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells in vine-abiding disciples means we too will bear witness to Jesus in his absence. So when a disciple abides in Jesus and is empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to Jesus, guess what? They're going to be hated like Jesus. Do you see what he's saying here again? (laughs) Don't be surprised when you are empowered by the witness, or Spirit to bear witness to the Son, the Son that everyone hates, by the way, that don't be shocked and awed when all of a sudden you receive the same hatred that the Son received, the Son to whom you're bearing witness. And Jesus goes on, rounding into chapter 16, that because these Spirit-filled witnesses will be persecuted, Jesus gives a loving warning. Verse 4 I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 16.1, Jesus doesn't want his disciples to fall away. Jesus knows that hostility and hatred has a way of making people go, Do I really want to stick around and receive this? Nah, it's easier to bail. He says, I don't want you to be sidetracked by this. Like, don't just hear me over here going, be vine-abiding, be fruit-bearing, be fruit-bearing, be vine-abiding, be vine abiding, be fruit-bearing. And then, like, they go off and do it, like, this is going to be great. And then the world's like, we hate you. We're going to kill you. Where would that come from? He's like, no, 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 I don't want you to be shocked and disillusioned by this thing. But he says, I want you to know that is how the world is going to know about me. A for instance would just simply be this. Remember what the last fruit that we talked about last week of what a vine-abiding Christian is? What did we say the last fruit was that Jesus mentioned? This, sacrificial love. When vine-abiding disciples bear the fruit of sacrificial love, you have two kingdoms at play. I'm pulling in all the language that we've just used there. You have those in allegiance to King Jesus and his kingdom, abiding in him, bearing the fruit of sacrificial love. You have those in allegiance to Satan and his dark kingdom, in a sense, abiding in him, bearing the fruit of hatred. And when disciples bear the fruit of sacrificial love in a dark world that is destroyed and destructed by sin, marked by hatred and hostility, when a group like us abide in the vine, bear the fruit of sacrificial love, and we love one another as Christ has loved us, Jesus is saying that is at least one way that the gospel will explode and shine like a light in a world of darkness when Believers are not biting and devouring one another, but laying themselves down like Jesus laid down his life for them, loving one another sacrificially. The world of darkness is going to, one, hate that, but there will be some who will be befuddled by that because who does that? Spirit-filled, vine-abiding, fruit-bearing disciples do that for the glory of the Father. And for the goodness of the Son. For the salvation of sinners. So Jesus says, I don't want you guys to fall away. What you need to know is that in the midst of this hostility, as you rely on me, what's going to happen is, it's probably going to fuel the hatred of some. It'll make them guilty. It'll expose shame and condemnation. But there will be some who will see it And there will be some who respond. Their eyes will be opened. As you respond to hostility, not with hostility. As you respond to hatred, not with hatred. But as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we follow the example of Jesus who entrusted himself to God, trusting that God will use our response of sacrificial love as a means to expose hearts pull scales off of eyes and make people see i need a savior that's what's going to go on jesus i think this is very interesting he just simply says you got to know this the ones who are going to probably be the most um what's the word i'm looking for the most zealous in their persecution are going to be religious folk you see that down there first Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Jesus is saying that even though these people are religious, their hostility derives from the fact that they just don't know the Father nor me. They're overly religious, but their religion is a thinly disguised veil for the fact they really don't know me. Following Jesus will lead to hatred and persecution and sometimes even death. Listen, the history of Christianity is filled with those who've been killed for the sake of Jesus' name. The big word for the day is martyr. Martyr. To be a martyr, to suffer the, the hand of uh, and become, uh, someone action towards you, martyrdom, is someone who dies... Because someone says, I don't like the fact that you love Jesus and I'm going to kill you. And that's going on in the world today. In the words of one brother, love this quote, he said, Our family tree is filled with executions. The Jesus family tree. And just as it was true for the first disciples that Jesus is talking to in the upper room, who, if you know your church history, All suffered and died at the hand of persecution, save one, John the Apostle, the brother writing this book. Whether we realize it or not, there are true brothers and sisters in Christ, disciples, followers of Jesus, men and women, born again. Who are suffering and dying as martyrs in the world today. So here's what we're going to do for our response time this morning. Um, it's going to be similar to what we've done a few weeks ago, and it's going to be somewhat different from what we've, what we've done, okay? So what do I mean by that idea of something similar and something somewhat different? Well, it's going to be similar in this way, um, in that here shortly we're going to pray for our suffering fellow believers. This is the application point. A couple of weeks ago we, we did this, remember? Uh, we entered into a time of corporate prayer, saying to one another, like, let's not delay. We'll be, like, let's just pray for this thing now. We just study the scriptures. Like, let's, let's do it now. Let's pray. We're going to do that here in a couple of minutes. So it's going to be something similar to what we did a couple of weeks ago. In the world today, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who live under the daily reality of the world's hatred. And as we said at the beginning of the sermon, there are many believers paying the ultimate price for their commitment to Jesus. I love Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Look at that up on the screen there. The writer, author of Hebrews says this, Remember, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Remember those who are mistreated, and I love this here, since you also are in the body. You're part of the same family. So just as if someone came in, busted through our doors, grabbed John Kleinschmidt, hauled him off to prison, we would look at him and go, we have a family member of this body of believers, at least, who is suffering, let alone specific family members there who are suffering because of him being gone The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, there are brothers and sisters in the world today in prison. There are brothers and sisters in the world today who are being mistreated. And since you are in the same body, since you're part of the same Jesus family, we've been adopted as sons and daughters, and we now belong to the family of God. Don't forsake them. Do something about it. And what's his answer? What's his prompt? The doing something is pray. Pray for them. We're going to do that here. The church at large is largely a suffering, persecuted church. So how are we going to respond? We're going to respond with prayer. But before we pray for our Jesus family at large, what I want to do is uh, do this is the something different, somewhat different. Uh, I specifically don't try to use a lot of imagery or videos in my sermons because I just want to try to be overly word-driven. But just as I was thinking about application, it just seemed there was a right time to stop, insert a video that I want to show you guys, to give you guys an assist, in a sense, to help you understand at a microcosm level of how some brothers and sisters live in the world today for no other reason than they are followers of Jesus. Won't you guys please watch this video? There was about ten different videos I was going to show you but uh, that one was probably uh, the least shocking um, of just how brothers and sisters are treated in the world today for merely claiming the name the name of Christ relegated to the lowest spheres of society Just simply because they call Jesus their king. They're forced into servitude, to clean trash, abusive labor, sewage cleaner, because they're a Christian. If you were paying attention there at the end, what you heard were various uh, calls to prayer. And they should be on the screen right now for you. And so as I was preparing and just thinking through this, just with the Great Commission um, emphasis that we have going on right now, the Great Commission offering that we're just thinking about right now, just the timely nature of Jesus orchestrating this body of believers to be able to think about this reality as it relates to basically every other pursuer of Jesus in the world today beyond us. It just seemed like it was very, very appropriate for us to pause and say, we just need to apply this right now by praying for these brothers and sisters. So I think Charles is going to come up. I think he's going to play play some just music here. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, is to ask the Lord, how is it proper for you to respond right now as it relates to prayer? For some of you, it might need to be this. It might just be humbling you to the dust that this is how some of our brothers and sisters are living in the world today. And it just is going to drive you to your knees. You just need to turn around on your knees and you need to bend before the Lord and pray. That's an appropriate response. For some of you, maybe you just need to turn to others that are there with your family and you just want to pray together as you go to bat in prayer for these brothers and sisters. That's an appropriate response. For some of us, it's just like, I need some silence and I need some solitude and I need to seek the Lord right now on behalf of my brothers and sisters. And that, too, is a proper response. But my encouragement is going to be this, is that we pray for these items on the screen. I'm not even necessarily asking that you pray for all five. Maybe right now as you're just looking, for, looking at that screen out of the five prompts that are up there, maybe just one of them, it's almost like it's screaming at you right now. And that's the Holy Spirit prompting you to go to bat for brothers and sisters at large for that specific prayer request. Then just do that. Maybe it's some others, maybe it's all five, maybe it's one. But ultimately, let's do what Jesus commands us to do in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, pray for one of those up there. Maybe it's part of the first four, but when it says pray for those who persecute, I would ask you to also pray for that one as well, okay? So, I'm going to just pause. There's going to be some silence. I haven't fallen asleep up here. I hope you guys don't fall asleep out there. Let's pray. Let's think of our Pakistani brothers and sisters maybe. Maybe you've got connections with other brothers and sisters in the world today where you know they're suffering the hands of persecution in this way. Beseech the Lord right now, saints. I can't stress you enough. Get into active prayer mode right now and think about some of the things that we just heard and pray through the lens of at least of those things on the screen as we go before the Lord in prayer. Let's do that now prayer in my mind is this, one, that you would grip our hearts with the reality that we are brothers and sisters, we are family with these Jesus pursuers across the world who are suffering hostility and hatred merely for claiming the name of Jesus over their lives. God, help us to not forget, help us to obey the command of Hebrews thirteen three to remember. To remember the saints in Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Asia, Europe, South America. Who are suffering, persecuted, and the, even the brothers and sisters, some imprisoned. Separated, denied the Bible, denied fellowship, denied the right to worship, to speak the name of Christ, guarantees, blows, strikes, torture, death. God, help us to remember, not to forget, but help us to remember. And then, Father, I pray that the way that these brothers and sisters then Bear up boldness and bear witness to you in the midst of these things. The sufferings and the difficulties, it doesn't cause them to shy away. It causes them to press deeper into you and talk even more about you. God, would their courage encourage us to be bold believers pursuers of Jesus, vine-abiding, fruit-bearing disciples here in our city, here on our streets, here in our places of work, may their courage, their bravery, their boldness spur us on to walk in the same faithfulness to our King. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that I pray all these things. Amen.